Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Thank you for joining us on Community Focus this morning, where we look at the issues that matter in South Florida and the people and organizations that are making a difference. With so much of our economy dependent on tourism, anything that brings bodies here is a plus. Homestead Miami Speedway has been doing just that for more than 25 years now. And next weekend, the cars are back in action as the NASCAR playoffs return to South Florida. So to tell us more about the event, the Speedway, the upgrades that have been done and the expansion of the kinds of events they can handle, I am so happy to welcome track president Al Garcia. Good morning. Good morning, Ellen, and, and thank you for the opportunity to speak to you this morning. Absolutely. You have had, you yourself have had a tremendous impact on South Florida being in charge of not only Homestead Speedway, but before Homestead existed, the street races that we used to have. So, I mean, you've been a big dollar bringer to our economy, and thank you for that. But next weekend is really a big deal. The Dixie Vodka 400. Can you tell us about what's going to be happening? And then we'll get into some of the improvements you've made that are allowing you to do the things that you can do now. Well, you know, Ellen, that's a great question. We um, are having um, a display of the racing vehicles at Bayside Marketplace, and we're kicking off race weekend with a press event there, a little press conference at Bayside Marketplace on uh, Friday the 21st at 1130. So if you're interested and can make it, we'd love to see you there. And then that kicks it off. And then so on Saturday, we have a doubleheader. We have a truck series race at one o'clock and then a race for the Xfinity series at uh, 430. So it's basically a, a playoff race for double A and then triple A in the afternoon. And then come Sunday, October the 23rd, that's the Cup Series, the pinnacle of motorsports in North America. And so that's a, a playoff race for the Cup Series, October 23rd. And those are the breakdowns of the major happenings now. In and above and beyond that, we have uh, a lot of entertainment. You know, we really um, attract at least 50% of the crowd that'll be here come from out of the area. Wow. Okay, okay. Out of the area, we define it from more than 200 miles away from the track. So that's beds and heads. That's people that come to South Florida to experience the melting pot that we are. So we celebrate our diverse culture and we try to recreate a little slice of Little Havana in one of the hospitality tents that's open general mission so that some of our visitors from out of state can sample Cuban coffee and see them playing uh-huh. dominoes. It's awesome music. You know, we have a art at the track, we erect a, a wall so then we bring in those artists that work in downtown and urban areas to do the spray painting murals that they do. So over the weekend, our fans can observe and watch them do these things. So it starts Saturday morning by Sunday evening. It's just an incredible artwork all done with spray paint cans and stuff like that. So, um, you know, we have a beach offering. Uh, we have developed a beach in our spring-fed lake that's in the infield. So, I mean, where else can you see a NASCAR Cup Series race from a paddleboard or, or paddling around in a kayak? So that's a fun experience. We have uh, DJ Alex Sensation 
Nation, which is an EDM person, was going to be hosting the Beach Bash there and performing. And so that should be a lot of fun. Um, you know, we've developed some social areas, Ellen. And so the days uh, that, you know, most people sit in the bench or sit in their seats, um, for example, at a, at a Dolphin game or what have you for a while, but then they need a little respite. So we've built um, a container bar overlooking turn one where people can go get some food or drink. And then it's got an observation deck that'll hold 300 or whatever with drink rails and stuff. So if you want to stand, stretch your legs and kind of take in the race from a more social environment, you can do that as well. So we have a, you know, a little bit of something for everybody, um, very familial atmosphere. But then we have these other offerings that are more geared towards a younger crowd that, that's looking for more of a social. Yeah, that's a really big thing, isn't it? Trying to di- not only diversify the crowd, but reach out to a whole new generation of people who may not have been exposed to NASCAR yet because they've been sitting playing video games for years. And, and part of those video games is car racing themselves. So this has to be pretty exciting for them to see it in person. But you know, NASCAR's bold and NASCAR's innovative and NASCAR's very inclusive. So we've worked really hard at diversifying. I'll give you an example. We're partnering with SLAM, the school in, uh, that's located next door to Marlins Park in the inner city. And SLAM is a Sports Leadership and Marketing Academy. And so we're bringing a bunch of those students out to the track. Uh, we want to expose our sport to a more diverse and younger and different demographic. And so, you know, to support that, for example, Michael Jordan is now ownership of a race car team. Okay. Uh, Pitbull, Armando, Armando is part owner of a NASCAR race team. So we're getting more and more of these mainstream folks interested and involved in our sport. And so they're drawing their fan base to the track. So it's, it's really a win-win. And I think that the economic opportunity as we uh, grow NASCAR and become more inclusive and more diverse is a benefit for the entire community. So we're bringing people to our local community and to South Florida and to the region that a lot of times wouldn't be here. When you said we have something for everyone, you literally took the words out of my head when I was looking at the rundown of the entertainment. And you've got country music star, you've got social media stars, singer-songwriter who was in Encanto, Adasa. Yeah. And I have to be honest, when I saw Larry's Hard Lemonade Beach Bash, <laughs> I was like, there oh, I go. know where I want to be. But what's made that an opportunity for you is all of the renovations that you've done at Homestead Miami Speedway. Can you talk a little bit about that investment that's coming back now with the opportunity to do all of these different events? Yeah, well, you know, we're, we're very fortunate in that, um, you know, with the support of the France family of NASCAR, they've given us the resources to continue to improve and continue to modernize our facility so that we can be competitive in a really competitive market, right? So to that point, we've developed the beach, we've added some hospitality areas, but you know what, Ellen, now we haven't sold to capacity since November of 2019. So it's been over a thousand days where this track has been dormant for large scale events. And so right now we're just trying to make sure that all the infrastructure and everything is maintained well and is ready to host a full house for the first time in three years. So that's where a lot of the focus has been in this year as we ramp up, you know, now I want to mislead in that the track is in use almost 280 days of the year. So we've had mega events, but they're not large scale events. So there'll be events that host 5,000 or 10,000. An example is we do the 4th of July celebration for the city of Homestead here. And it's a free event. We'll get 15,000 residents. We had a triathlon, had about 3,000 athletes. So with their families and all that, there was probably 9,000, 10,000 people here. And uh, every single weekend we're booked with amateur sports car racing that'll draw four or 5,000. Or we do drag racing every other Friday evening and we'll draw 1,200 people. So we're constantly in use. We're a resource for the community. And these are folks that they're regional events. And so um, we keep kind of 
the meter running, so to speak. It creates opportunities and drives economic benefit to South Miami-Dade County. Absolutely. And then the bigger events, it, it's a regional deal. It's felt from Isla Morada all the way up to Fort Lauderdale So when, next weekend. And uh, and so look out for the NASCAR fans. Yeah. They will be happy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They love coming to South Florida. Any tips on getting there and avoiding traffic on the way? Yeah, no. You know, we, we partner with our state law enforcement, county, city, department of transportation. And, uh, you know, we're pretty proud of the fact that our traffic patterns and, and our procedures are pretty efficient. But I would encourage folks to arrive early. You know, there's tailgating opportunities. You're allowed to bring your coolers with your own food and drink inside the admission gates. And also, unlike uh, stick and ball sports, we allow reentry. So you can be inside, can take in some of these musical performances or what have you, go back out to your car, either tailgate or just rest up or what have you, refill your cooler and then come on back in. So that's also a benefit. So I would encourage to get out early. There's an awful lot to see and do before the start of the race. So get here early, have a good time and uh, please provide feedback as we, you know, there's multiple ways to get a hold of us, but let us know how your experiences are, good and bad. Okay. Where does somebody get tickets? HomesteadMiamiSpeedway.com. And I just want to take a moment, if you've got it, to talk about your community involvement, because above and beyond all of these events, you said, you know, you work with the city of Homestead to do their 4th of July event. You mentioned the Friday drag racing. This is a really important thing in South Florida. We know our drivers are not great. (laughs) following the rules of the road. So you've created Fast Lane Friday to give a safe alternative to these young people, 18 and over, of course, who want to go drag racing, you know, kind of like Fast and Furious. And you've worked with the police to put this together. Yeah, no, absolutely. We work very, very hard to make sure that we're good corporate citizens. You know, we have a lot of resources that we can bring to bear. So I can't tell you all the and how rewarding it, it is because, yes, we created Fast Lane Friday as a public service. You know, it was, this started back in the early 2000s when Fast and Furious was at the height of its popularity. And there was a lot of kids that were drag racing illegally on the public roadways and either getting arrested or worse, uh, causing traffic accidents and, and things of that nature. So we create an environment where they can do it safely. And we have tech inspectors here to teach them how their car should be set up or to make sure that they're safe. And then we also have security and fire rescue on site in case on the outside chance something happens, but it's a safe environment where they can drag race and, and, and have a good time and leverage this. You know, we work with countless numbers of law enforcement agencies to do training here. And so we, we make ourselves available to our partners at the um, Homestead Air Reserve Base, and they use it for training and different uh, activities. We have the Homestead Run Club. We partner with Baptist Health Systems. We open the track for runners to run on the track once a month. And so every Tuesday, the first Tuesday, I believe, and we open it up and people can come on out and have a different experience when they're getting their workout in. And then let's not forget the Magic of Lights holiday display coming back for its second year starting November 18th. More than a million lights. This is huge. Yeah, you know, we did it for the first time last year and it was hugely successful. People really enjoyed it. You know, there's nothing like that in this part of the world, right? So from Key Largo to Kendall Drive, there isn't anything like that. And we want to make sure that we become an entertainment venue for South Miami-Dade County in particular. Although we do get a lot of visitors from the region. As far as Fort Lauderdale, they just flock down here. So it's great. I I can't wait for the prehistoric Christmas. I want to see the dinosaurs lit up. (laughs) 
There you go. <laughs> it's a personal They're thing. Awesome. I'm a Jurassic yeah. person. Can't help it. Good. It is really, I mean, it's so impressive how you are a good corporate citizen and you work with Baptist Health and you've got the Healthy Miami-Dade Initiative and you work with local law enforcement and that, you know, yep. how many lives have you saved by doing Fast yeah. Lane Friday and keeping those drivers off our regular streets and giving them a place to not only have fun, but also these could be our winning car racers of the future from right here in South Florida. So, you know, it's all reaching. And again, what you're doing for the economy, how you're bringing in bodies and dollars, and also giving us an exciting event to talk about. So it's next weekend at Homestead Miami Speedway, the NASCAR Finals Dixie Vodka 400. Are we going to be able to get vodka at a discount? (laughs) Absolutely. Go to the beach bash. They will be mixing some uh, Larry's lemonade with uh, Dixie Vodka. With Dixie Vodka, of course. Okay. We'll see you at the races, October 23rd. Al Garcia, president of Homestead Miami Speedway. Thank you so much. All right, Alan. Thank you. We are so blessed in South Florida to have this amazing variety of native plants and wildlife. And then there's our amazing seabird population. We are also blessed to have people who step up and take care of our wildlife. And with the growth in population and the expansion of construction, many species are at risk. And when you're talking about seabirds, the place to turn to is one of our local treasures, Pelican Harbor Seabird Station in Miami. Joining us today, the Communications Director, Hannah McDougall. Thank you for being with us, Hannah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Now, we talked a little bit before the program. I was saying I've lived in Florida since I was three years old, grew up in North Miami Beach. How did I not know about Pelican Harbor Seabird Station and the unbelievable work you guys are doing? I hear that almost every single day, almost exactly the same thing you said. I've lived here all my life life. And, you know, it wasn't until I found a bird that I found out about you guys. Um, So we are, we're kind of tucked away. We're on the 79th Street Causeway right before North Bay Village on the way to Miami Beach. We're kind of uh, small right now, small scale, um, but obviously making a really big impact. So it's always great to meet new people and get the word out there. Uh, Well, that's what we want to do. I understand that you've grown since 1980 when the Seabird Station began in a little tool shed from treating about 300 seabirds each year to more than 2,000. And I didn't know we have 150 different native species. Obviously, you know way more about this than I do. Tell us a little bit about your background, because I know that you are not just a communications person. You've been hands-on with this work. Yes, exactly. People are always really surprised at that figure also, the 150 different species. We are so lucky to be located right on the Atlantic Flyway, which is a massive migration path. So we see so many different species, particularly of the small warblers that are migrating through on their way to the Caribbean or even South America. But a little bit about me um, is that I've been with Pelican Harbor for five years now. Um, Time flies. And the, the first three and a half years, I worked in the clinic. So hands on with the animals. We are a full service wildlife hospital, just like any veterinarian, except not dogs and cats. We do pelicans and owls and squirrels. Anything that, you know, you would go to your vet for, we can also go ahead and perform here at Pelican Harbor. So I remember seeing videos 
of somewhere in the Keys, there was a pelican and someone had gotten it all wrapped up in wire or rope from fishing. And this poor pelican couldn't open its mouth. And the video showed a guy going and piece by piece taking the wire off the pelican until it was free and flew away. I think we know we have our pelicans and our flamingos and our white ibises, and we kind of take them for granted. But there's a lot of damage that happens to them. Can you tell us how they end up sick or injured? Yes. So like what you said, unfortunately, hook and line injuries are really common, particularly here in South Florida, where you have the luxury of fishing all year long in a bunch of piers. It's great for outdoorsmen and fishermen, but not so great for our seabirds. So a lot of times it is line that's been improperly disposed of or even hooks that are still attached to the fish. Um, Mm. The pelicans become really accustomed to being around these fishing piers, often just being hand fed by the fishermen also, which we do not condone because, you know, then they, they get really used to it and they'll actually go diving for those fish that are at the end of the line. Mm. Of course, once they eat the fish, they eat the hook, and then it's kind of, you know, Uh, bad news from there. So what happens? How do the birds get to you? Do people find them and bring them in? Do you go out looking for them? Uh, Yeah. So actually, half of our patients are just found by members of the public. They're, you know, driving their way to work. They're walking their dog in their backyard. So they'll go ahead and call us. We'll kind of gauge the situation, make sure the animal actually needs help or rescue. And then we'll walk them through how to put it in a box and bring it on over to us. So that's around half of the patients. Around a quarter are actually brought in by volunteers. We have an amazing group of volunteers that we train here at Pelican Harbor to be able to go out and make those rescues, whether it's actually rescuing them and containing them or just transporting them if the finder for some reason is unable to. We also have 24-hour drop-off cages in the case that, you know, you find an animal after hours, you can always bring it to the station and that's the first thing we'll look at uh, first in the morning. And lastly, people tend to get a kick out of this one, is we actually Uber a couple hundred patients every year. <laughs> How does that work? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so so we've been doing it for quite some time, but that was one of the really great things actually that came out of the pandemic is it's called Uber Cargo. So essentially it's Uber, but just for sending packages. So it's a little cheaper than normal Uber also, but we'll go ahead and we'll, we'll let the Uber driver know, hey, you know, you're picking up a bird in a box, bring it to a wildlife hospital. Is that okay? And usually they're really excited. They usually have never heard of us either. So we get a lot of birds that way. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to keep saying the name because I want people to remember Pelican Harbor Seabird Station, 79th Street in Miami, dedicated to the rescue, rehabilitation, and release of sick, injured, or orphaned. And originally it was brown pelicans. Now it's all kinds of seabirds and other native wildlife. You know, a lot of our birds are big. How does somebody approach a bird that's larger than we're normally accustomed to dealing with if it's injured? I would think is some danger. I mean, look at the beak on the pelican, the damage it could do. Yeah. So it's often, uh, it's pretty intimidating, like you said, to kind of walk up to a pelican or, uh, you know, a lot of times we'll get raptors, hawks, falcons, those types of things. But usually in these cases, the animals are sick or debilitated enough to the point that they're really not able to move around. Most of them can't even stand. So we always say a towel is your best friend, Uh, a towel and a cardboard box. We try to always walk people through the safest way, both for them and the animal to contain 
But of course, if they're uncomfortable, if there's some sort of danger, that's when our staff would go out in our ambulance, as we call it, or one of our volunteers. Okay. Are there circumstances in which you would prefer that someone call you? You know, are there circumstances where we should just not get close to an injured animal or bird? So we are not currently taking any rabies vector species, and those are any animal that could potentially have or transmit rabies. We just don't have the quarantine space. So those types of animals, which are foxes, raccoons, bats, uh, I would definitely, definitely say do not attempt to contain them, touch them, otherwise handle them, leave that to the experts. Who do we call for that? I know there's there are wildlife people in the county who are in charge of that. Yes, yeah, it's called, um, it's FWC, which is the Fish and Wildlife Commission, and they will go ahead and help you out. And you can usually be connected to them by calling 311. They can usually dispatch. So let's say someone now brings uh, some kind of bird into you. What's the process? How do you do the intake? And how do you go about determining what the problem is and putting it through the healing process? So we have four full-time clinic staff that are all certified wildlife rehabilitators. And every single animal that comes in goes through a a full triage, um, an intake examination. And that's checking out every part of the body. Uh, If it's a bird, that's making sure that the feathers are of appropriate quality and that it has all of its feathers. Um, There's no broken bones. We check out the body condition. We see if it's underweight, sometimes emaciated. We'll check out their eyes. It's, It's a full, truly a full body exam. And then from there, we will obviously case by case, um, but everything will receive fluids really just to kind of help them gain their strength back and provide them the ability to start healing themselves, whether it's pain medication, antibiotics, laser therapy, bandaging. We really, it's, it's totally case by case, but we receive animals that were hit by cars, animals that unfortunately were shot by BB guns, got caught in a storm and were just wet, you know fell into a pool or it's it's all over the place. And do you develop connections to the animals the same as we do with dogs and cats? I wouldn't say that it's to the same degree. There's not that like intimacy because it is so hands-off. They are, of course, wild animals. And so any interaction that we have with them is incredibly stressful uh, to the animal. I mean, you definitely, you, you form a bond in the way that you have like such dedication and such power, I guess, like invested into their well-being. There's a saying we have hanging in the clinic that says that our quality of care is their quality of life. Oh, love Um, it. Yeah. So, of course, you know, you you feel the sense of responsibility as well. But people always ask, are are you sad to see it go? You know, are you sad to release it? Was that hard? And we always say, we're like, no, like that's another thing we say is we'll release an animal and say, Bye. Hope I never see you again. There you- <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I mean, that's just got to be so rewarding to watch an animal that's been injured or a bird that's been injured and flies away. So, you know, with handling as many injured birds and animals as you do, obviously, you've expanded your care. And I understand that you are working on expanding your space. You've got this capital campaign going on so you can move into a larger space just a few blocks away. Can you tell us about that? Absolutely. That is something that we think about, we talk about every day. Uh, Everyone is so excited because where we are currently, it was more than enough in the early years. In the 80s, there was, you know, 300 pelicans a year. It was really small scale. Um, 
but now we are admitting over 2,000 animals a year of a ton of different species that all need their own, um, you know, special outdoor caging, their indoor requirements, even just the minimum standards for the size of the enclosures. So we are really excited to have purchased a two and a half acre property just west. Um, It's right on the Little River, and it's actually going to expand our property size by 14 times. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So you can you can just imagine how tight we are. Our clinic is 400 square feet, I believe. That's all. Um, that's yep, like and that includes a, a bathroom big hotel and a laundry room. Oh my goodness, that's really not enough space for what you're doing. So, no. how can people help you with this capital campaign? So, if you want to learn more, also, you know, we have these amazing renderings of this gorgeous new state-of-the-art facility that are really awesome to check out. Everything, all kinds of info, is on our website, Pelican Harbor. Dot org, And that's where you can find help if you had an animal, if you're interested in volunteering, just learning more about us in general, our history, the events we have going on. And why are these birds, the native birds, the animals so important to our environment? And what would happen if a species was to become extinct? Ecologically, um, as well as culturally as well, you, you, you go to the beach and you... Uh, Can you imagine going to the beach and there's no little seabirds along the shore pecking in the sand? There's no pelicans flying overhead. You know, you wake up early in the morning, there's no chattering of birds. So they're fully ingrained, you know, in our society. But at the end of the day, our society came after them. They were here first. They have been here. And so we're the ones that have, you know, influenced their lives, their survival. And, you know, without animals, the entire ecological, you know, cycle of things would just collapse. You know, it, it's been so, so incredibly fine-tuned um, over millions of years. And unfortunately, we're just making this really, really deep impact that it often, you know, once it gets bad enough, is irreversible. So I think that's why it's so important, the work that we're doing as well, is just maintaining our ecosystem as a whole. And particularly in Florida, I, t- I think that the native flora and fauna here are so deeply ingrained in what makes this such an amazing place to live. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the ways that you are able to support what you do with funding, obviously donations, but also you hold events like Champagne Sunset Cruises. Can you tell us about those? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Um, So we uh, go out. It's one or two times a month. We go out um, on an amazing two hour boat cruise of Biscayne Bay. So it's for birders and boaters alike, or if you know, you just want to enjoy a night on the water. We do a little bit of bird watching, but it's like a lightly narrated boat cruise. We see the sunset, usually a full moon as well. We try to time it with the full moons and they, they usually sell out really, really quickly as well. They're definitely a hidden gem of Miami. Okay, so you want to go to pelicanharbor.org and look at the events and make that reservation now so that you can get on board. Yes, definitely. Uh, I think our next two cruises are already booked, but we have uh, a really special cruise set for Thanksgiving weekend also. That's going to include a really amazing VIP tour of our facility um, where you can meet some of our animals, followed by the two-hour cruise. So oh, that sounds wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Something to do with your family that's in town. And you also have a webinar series, which I think there's so many different topics and you don't have to leave home to be part of that. Where do you get the people who put together those webinars and what is their background? 
So we really try to keep it diverse. You know, we we're called the Seabird Station, Pelican Harbor Seabird Station. But we do so much more than that. We do songbirds. We do reptiles. Uh, we do lots and lots of turtles, occasionally snakes. But we, we get people from all over. They tend to be pretty scientific, animal, ecology-based. But there's also ones, really amazing ones, about particular animal care, especially, you know, when it comes to wildlife rehabilitation. Like in November, we have a really, really interesting speaker all the way from Delaware. And he's going to be discussing oil spills wow. and the impact on wildlife and how oil spill, you know, recovery centers, how they treat the wildlife and that whole kind of process. It's awful. And it, it occurs so much more often than people realize, even on like a super micro scale, you know, is boat and, you know, engine oil from your boat. Uh, we have a couple birds every year that come in completely oiled because they're swimming around in water that somebody accidentally spilled their oil or their tank burst or something like that. So it's not just these massive oil spills that you hear about in the news. Um, it can be really localized as well. You know, we know we can bring injured birds to you for rescue and rehab. How can we prevent injury? Are there steps we can take that will help lower the amount of damage that the birds experience? Yes, absolutely. There's always things that you can do. I know sometimes it can feel overwhelming or like you're powerless, like you're just one person. But the only way that things change is just a group of singular people, you know, making small changes in their lives every day. So some really easy things you can do are just becoming a more responsible steward of the environment through your own purchases and actions, particularly, you know, when it comes to fishing, always making sure that you're casting responsibly. You're not casting in an area near fish or sorry, near pelicans um, <laughs> or birds of any kind. Um, you know, sometimes that's obviously hard to avoid. So we always, always say that please never, ever feed wildlife. You might think that you're helping them out with a free meal. You know, he looks hungry, um, but there's never any good that comes of that. Um, one, they just become accustomed to people. So they're relying on people for their food. And they're also going to areas that are very populated by people. And that means more human-animal interaction, which means more injury. Same thing, like if you leave food out in your backyard or something like that, you're drawing them in where cars are, where other, you know, wild animals are, like cats. Uh, that's why we always, always ask as well to keep your cats indoors. You know, it's better for the cats and for the wildlife. One of the things that I'm really impressed with is not only does Pelican Harbor Seabird Station do all of this work for our native wildlife and our seabirds, but at the same time as you need donations as a nonprofit, you are giving back during Breast Cancer Awareness Month. What are you doing? So, yes, during the month of October, uh, we have our booby shirts on sale, which are modeled after a blue-footed booby. And, and they, that is a uh, kind of bird, right? It most certainly is. Okay. Yes, there's brown boobies, <laughs> yeah, red-footed boobies, blue-footed boobies. So it began a few years ago. We actually had a staff member who was diagnosed, um, and she is in full remission now, which is amazing. Great. But we really wanted to do something to, like you said, to give back. Um, we were so blessed by all of these amazing supporters of our nonprofit. So we figured, you know, why not get the word out about us while, while helping another cause? Uh, so throughout the month of October, all of our uh, booby shirts will benefit Save Our Sisters. 
So 10% of all of our profits will go to them. Uh, and they are an amazing dragon boat racing team of breast cancer survivors. Wow. And they uh, are amazing powerful group of women that have this racing team, but they also do all sorts of advocacy. They have outreach programs. They really act as an amazing source of support for each other and other survivors or current breast cancer patients. So it's a really amazing organization. So we're yeah, we saw them last week at the Komen more than Pink Walk. We were out there and Save Our Sisters had a huge team. So, yeah, you're right. Everybody's giving back in some way. We've got our own little circle of giving, kind of like the circle of life, which is just wonderful. I really want to encourage people to go to pelicanharbor.org. Take a look at everything that's happening at Pelican Harbor Seabird Station. If you've never visited, go ahead and book that Thanksgiving weekend sunset cruise so you can enjoy both the cruise and bird watching and get the tour of the facility. And remember, they are saving the birds and the wildlife that we're so accustomed to seeing. And without them, it would be a very quiet, very boring place to live. <laughs> so I can't thank you enough. Hannah McDougall, Director of Communications for Pelican Harbor Seabird Station. Let's just get the word out and do your part to support them. Pelicanharbor.org is the website. Thank you so much, Hannah. Thank you for having me. I hope everybody learned a little bit and uh, can come and see what we're all about. Absolutely. And thank you for listening to Community Focus this morning. If you have questions about today's show or would like to suggest a topic, please feel free to email me at ellen.jaffe, J-A-2-F-1-E, at cmg.com. Join us again next Sunday for an all-new edition of Community Focus, and have a wonderful day. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.